Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a fall episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for the Almighty. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we are so blessed to be with you, and even more blessed, if it's possible, to have such a special dear guest in celebration of the upcoming canonization of Cardinal John Henry Newman this Sunday, October 13th. Absolutely. So before we introduce our special friend and guest, an expert in Newman studies, a speaker and author on the subject, and dear friend whom we knew in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, just a quick commercial. Uh, For those of you asking the question right now, I've had great experiences at retreats and have read some great Catholic books and I'm so blessed to to be uh, integrated with all of these events in the church. And how can I live this out in an ongoing way? How can I live it out in my marriage and family, especially, believe it or not, with Advent coming up in about a month? Wow. Well, we want to invite you to join us on the seven-week journey. Those of you families who are courageous, who are willing to uh, press through awkwardness and difficulty, to do that heroic thing. Thing of bring your families together on a weekly basis to talk and pray. It's a powerful thing. It's what we've been talking about for a long time. We get it's difficult. We make it really easy with this Live It Gathering Guide. Fun questions to interact with your family. Um, you can reflect on the scripture, gospel, based upon the subsequent Sunday readings. And uh, we're beginning, you can do it now, of course, at ilovemyfamily.us. We encourage you to do that, in fact. You've heard the testimonials on our program of those who've leaned into this and done it, who've pressed past their awkwardness. But we're going to have a dedicated seven weeks beginning in November, leading through Advent into Christmas. So right now I'm planting that seed for you moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, to get together with your families, make the commitment to do this for seven weeks. You have 168 hours a week. Of that, maybe 35 or 40 hours of discretionary time. Studies say that, you know, on average, we spend 9, 10, 11 hours a day in front of digital devices. So we ask you the question, can you set aside 45 minutes of that a week to bring your family together? to experience God more fully alive. He will bless you profoundly. In fact, grace is being poured out. This is the means that we can receive that. So plan on making the commitment with us, with all who are listening to our radio program and the podcast. What a powerful seven weeks this can begin be beginning in November. Where can you find out more? Glad you asked. I love my family.us and you'll see in there somewhere sign up. All you gotta do is fill out your information. We'll keep you in touch with it and uh, we will journey with you through that. Second commercial. You men out there who are asking the question, how can I be ignited in everyday faith? I ask that all the time. Well, seven commitments we prayed about and were led by two awesome bishops and a number of national leaders, seven basic commitments as Catholic men to receive that grace. We invite you right now to receive that gift. Go to Pentecost365.us. Seven commitments to unite us as brothers in Christ to be godly men godly husbands, godly fathers, to journey together in a powerful way. This coming Monday, the second Monday of every month in this region, we gather as men to hear a powerful talk. Uh, Around a campfire, if it's, you know, within that range of temperature, if not, we'll go in the house. But uh, last time we had 25 people. 2025 men gathered together. And uh, I would simply say, you know, it's for those men who know we need more than softball answers, softball answers to hardball questions. We've got hardball questions with the time that we have. 
Let's avail ourselves to asking those hardball questions and getting the good hardball answers that uh, are going to help bless us to be godly men. So Pentecost365.us. Those are my two commercials. Steph. Thank you. And so without further ado... Actually, I'm sorry. I wanted to open us We, prayer. Without further ado, <laughs> we are going to open with a prayer. So we are tonight reflecting upon the wonderful life and witness of John Cardinal Henry Newman to be saint on the 13th this Sunday. And I invite you to join me now in a prayer that he wrote, if you will, or prayed and is pretty famous to all of us. It's called The Pillar of the Cloud, otherwise known as Lead Kindly Light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. I was not ever thus, nor prayed that thou shouldst lead me on. I love to choose and see my path, but now lead thou me on. I loved the garish day in spite of fears. Pride ruled my will. Remember not past years. So long thy power hath blessed me, sure it will, will lead me on. Or moor and fen or crag and torrent till the night is gone. And with the morn those angel faces smile which I have loved long since and lost a while. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the, the Son, and, and of the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. How beautiful was that? Thank you. And thank you, John Henry Newman, for being so inspired by the Holy Spirit. What powerful words. So speaking of powerful words, Sister Kathleen Dietz comes to mind as a powerful word. Um, we welcome you to Ignite Radio Live, Sister. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, as Greg said, um, Sister Kathleen is, I would say, a noted Newman Scholar. Um, she presently is the Vice Chancellor for the Diocese of Erie. Um, she does have her doctorate in dogmatic theology and wrote her dissertation on Newman's ecclesiology. I hope I got that all right. Um, but more than that, she truly um, loves him and has shared so much of him with so many, in particular, I think, through um, the blessing of her order, the spiritual family, the work, who are very dear to us. We were blessed to um, get to know them as dear, dear friends uh, when we were back in Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, I believe Sister is, was the very first vocation to that beautiful order from the United States. Um, and that's correct. Yes, that's so awesome. So Vermont claims maple syrup and Sister Kathleen. And well, you're missing two key points <laughs> in that uh, CV, curriculum vitae. Uh, one is she has a great appreciation for the musical genius of Neil Diamond. True. Yes. And Alfie <laughs> Bow, who uh, we introduced her to. He is the Valjean of the 25th anniversary <laughs> Lady edition. You knew that was going to come out, Who is phenomenal. It's one of our family's <laughs> favorites. So, sister, uh, with the family, the Schleter family enjoys breaking out in song all the time. We're, we're a little odd that way, and she fits right into it. But most 
notably, she is a Nerf gun assassin. Truth. She, uh, in fact, I want to say, well, I can't even go. My kids, I wish they were on right now to convey the fun of all the sisters, her entire order. And the priest. Absolutely. And I do think that, Sister, one Christmas, I think we imparted the gifts of a Nerf gun arsenal. Is that true? Yeah. Do you still yeah. have those? Do you still <laughs> put those to use? Mm-hmm. Well, she, I think she used them when she taught again, and she needed to pull them out a little bit. <laughs> so Sister was, um, she professed in 1993 for the spiritual family, The Work. She spent 15 years in Europe, and in 2008, very, very blessed, um, she and our dear sister Josephine came to Erie, Pennsylvania, and we met them at our parish, and um, just united right away um, in our faith and our friendship and they were some of the hardest people to say goodbye to when we moved to Toledo. So we are uh, blessed beyond words by you and the whole order. And we thank you again for being with us tonight, sister. Um, Well, thank you for having me. So we love to proclaim the scripture verse on this radio show from Revelation 1211. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the lamb, our holy mass that we're so blessed to have as Catholics and by the word of their testimony. And when we say testimony, too often people think of some grand conversion story, which praise God for those, right? But the Mm -hmm. extraordinary in the ordinary. So, Sister, tell us a little bit about yourself, your growing up, your family life, your faith life, your vocation story, wherever you want to take it. On your mark, get set, (laughs) go. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Steph. Um... So I was born in California, the fourth um, of what would turn out to be six children. Um, We moved when I was one year old. My parents brought all of us from California over to Vermont. Wow, one end um, to the other. Pardon? One end to the other. One end to the other, exactly. So um, the reason being that they felt that they wanted to move to a place where they could put down roots. Mm. Um, so I grew up in Vermont. I still call Vermont my the home of my heart, in except for heaven, of course. But, of course, of course. Um, and I grew up in a Catholic family um, in a very Protestant milieu, mm. um, uh, which is something that I was used to, so I didn't even think much about it. Most of my friends were Protestant. Mm. I had good conversations with them about faith. Um I did not know any religious when I was growing up. Mm, um, I met my first ones really when sisters when I was in college. And also when I was in college, my older sister decided to join the Missionaries of Charity, and she is still with them. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think really got me to thinking about religious life. Um, I always wanted to go into politics, but then I moved to Washington, and that changed very quickly. (laughs) So I started studying theology at that time. And as you mentioned, I joined the Spiritual Family the Work in uh, 1993. This meant that I had to go to Europe. We didn't have a house in the United States. I went to Europe um, as the first American sister, and I stayed there for 15 years. Um, and then very, very happily came back to my own country, mm. um, moved to Erie in 2008. While I was in Europe, I got my degree, as you mentioned, um, in dogmatic theology. I've had a love affair with Newman, so to speak. Um, 
<laughs> excuse me, um, since my college days because I went to Cardinal Newman College in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. A small small college that unfortunately didn't last very long, but it was a beautiful experience. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, that kindled my, my interest in Newman, which was continued. And my community um, has been working to promote the um, works and the life of Newman since 1975. Sister, may I I interrupt you quickly? Yeah, please interrupt. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your community? (laughs) Sure. So it's called the Spiritual Family, the work. It's a kind of unusual name. Um, Spiritual Family is, first of all, because um, that is our emphasis but it's also because when we were recognized by um, by Pope John Paul II as a community of papal right, as a new form of uh, consecrated life, mm. he called us a spiritual family. Mm, beautiful. We take the name the work from Scripture, um, from Saint John. The first part is um, when the Jews the Jews go to Jesus and they say. What are the works we have to do? Um, And Jesus says, the work is to believe in him who sent me. Mm -hmm. And the second passage is from the Last Supper. Um, And Jesus says, I have, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have glorified your name. Mm-hmm. And so we take that as our name, but also as our calling that we live in faith and we glorify the name of Jesus by our lives. Beautiful. Our focus in the community is really to show the church, uh, the beauty of the church in everything we do and especially in how we live together as a family. And it's not only an order of sisters or a community of sisters. No, that's... Correct. Thank you. Um, we have priests, we have lay brothers, we have permanent deacons and sisters living in community, uh, what we call the core of the community. We take the three evangelical councils. We also have members in the wider sense who um, really belong to the community, um, but who don't live in community because they they live as um, laity in the world. Um, we have married couples. We have single people. We have, um, I shouldn't say all live as laity, because we also have diocesan priests who belong to our mm-hmm. community. So basically every walk of life, um, it's possible to belong to our community. Mm-hmm. And what a perfect um title, if you will, Spiritual Family, because that is certainly what mm-hmm. it is. Thank you for that background. So God always speaks to the needs of the times through saints, through the church. He gives the church holy people attuned. And it seems to me, given the tumult that many of us are experiencing, the calamity politically, ecclesially, and many levels, uh, that John Cardinal Henry Newman, soon to be Saint John Henry Newman, 
his life gives witness in his 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 genius his articulation of truths of the faith his journey speaks to a lot of the questions that are on the hearts of many people today just by way of a quick background then ask you to maybe sketch for us sister who this man is but just as a snapshot folks we're dealing with somebody who lived in the 19th century he was born in 1801 and uh, lived till a ripe old age 89 years old 1890 half of that time he spent as an anglican and through that journey as a scholar, professor, uh, definitely came to understand and embrace uh, with clarity and detail, ha- asking all of the hard questions anybody could possibly ask. He asked those questions and was pressed with those questions and came into the fold of the Catholic Church in 1845. And uh, as a result, in England, as all of you may imagine, who knew anything about England prior to that time, and certainly in that time, it was not an easy thing to choose uh, the Catholic faith with the culture that was around him. So for any of us who are asking questions, deep questions of faith, does truth matter? Can truth be known? You know, how do we understand truth with the faculties that God has given us of reason and conscience? Is it worth it? Should we pursue truth? What is the benefit to any of us? Well, I, I discovered personally um, the, the blessing that John Cardinal Henry Newman is, and uh, all the more look forward to it. its unveiling in this era of his being made a saint. So with that sort of from my personal experience and setting the stage as to why all of you just listen with attentiveness um, to how he speaks to us today. Um, Sister, share with us, you know, who is this man, John Henry Newman? Wow, that's um, a tall order, as you know. Um, he lived an extremely full life. He was born in London, also one of uh, six children, three girls and three boys. Um he um, went, he was sent away to school, um, which was fairly typical at that time. He went and he went to the top of his class, even in, uh, from the beginning in school, and was sent then at the age of 16 to Oxford. Oxford became for Newman really his home. He loved Oxford. Mm-hmm. He did very well in Oxford, and then after graduating, um, tried for what is called a fellowship. It's hard to explain that because it's very different from our school system, but or our university system. But um, he was elected a fellow of Oriel College in Oxford, um, which was really the foremost academic uh, college in Oxford at the time. And there Newman really came into his own. He was, by nature, shy. Um, It's hard to imagine that when you read his life. Um, I personally find a great resonance with him in this. He was shy, um, um, but once he was comfortable with people or with a situation or once he had a a cause, um, you didn't see any of the shyness about him. But he got to know some very famous people there um, in Oriel College, such as John Keeble and um, some others. You might know John Keeble. Some might know him from hymns that he wrote. Um, And they um, formed a group of people who began to look at what the church would have been like in its primitive form. Mm. So, in other words, they wanted to take the Anglican Church back to its roots, and they wanted to go to make it Catholic again. Now, by that, you have to understand, I don't mean Catholic with a capital C, not the Roman Catholic, 
but Catholic as in universal, as in embracing the faith and the way um, also even of celebration, um, uh, liturgical celebration, um, they wanted to go back to that. And it's hard for us to imagine in our world today, but at that time, religion was the topic of conversation mm-hmm. um, in newspapers, magazines, articles, everything. I mean, religion was just in the forefront. Mm-hmm. And um, Newman just really charged into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the thing that spurred him or that got the whole the whole thing, which was called the Oxford Movement, the thing that got that going was the interference of the state in the matters of the church, something we know very well in the United States today and actually throughout Europe. Um, Newman was adamant that the state had no right to interfere in church, um, in the church. So he... Um, Can I pause you a second, with, sister? With, if yeah. I could pause you just for a moment. So... We're talking about an Anglican profession of faith that originated, correct me if I'm wrong, under Henry VIII, and so in an odd way was instituted by the state, if I understand correctly. So um, help us understand maybe a little bit how Anglicans understood their anchor uh, as one, and I'm speaking of Newman maybe in particular, and his colleagues. How do they understand an anchor, an objective truth, from something that departed from Catholicism under Henry VIII, if I have that correctly? Well, I think that Newman didn't... Um, how can I put this? Newman, okay, let me, let me start with this. Newman was born an Anglican, and because he was born an Anglican, he felt that it was his duty to start where he was. Mm. So he looked for the truth literally um, from the time he was a teenager. At the age of 15, and this is an important thing to bring out, which I forgot to bring out, um, he went through what he called his first conversion. Mm. Not a conversion in the way that many of us think of it. It was not a born-again experience, but it was a conversion to objective truth. Mm. He called it um, the conversion to the dogmatic principle. Hmm. And what he meant by that is that he understood that there is an objective truth and that it is our duty to find that truth and to follow it. Hmm. And he literally spent from that time until his conversion to the Catholic Church looking for that truth. And um, this is, to me the point at which Newman speaks to all ages of all times, and that is his integrity. Mm, Newman did not compromise. When he found the truth, he followed it, and it cost him a great deal. Um, But it was what he wanted. He sought after the truth. I think this can speak to everybody, Mm -hmm. whether we're Catholic um, or Protestant or another faith or no faith at all, there is something inside of us, almost like a magnet, which draws us to truth, mm-hmm. um, to that which is real, as Newman called it. Um, so I would say that Newman didn't, he, he spent a long time trying to reconcile the Anglican Church with what he saw as the truth, 
and um, came to his conversion when he couldn't do that, mm-hmm. when he realized that the church for which he had been looking all the time did not reside in the Anglican Communion, but in the Catholic Church. Excellent. So his understanding at the point at which you were speaking of wanting to see disassociation from state involvement with matters church, his core was in pursuit of that which is objectively true, and he felt his his own experience was that that could perhaps be found in Anglicanism, and he was trying to, as a leader, uh, was, was trying to see its shall we say, fruition of that truth. Right. And, okay, gotcha. Thank you for that. I think that's yeah. very important. So continue that point, if you don't mind, of uh, state disassociation from religion. Yeah, let me just explain um, the point. Uh, the point of the, um, where he saw the, the uh, state interfering with the church was, um, it had to do with Ireland, that the, um, the state, meaning England, suppressed some of the diocese in Ireland, and he felt it is not up to the state to suppress, um, you know, bishoprics or, you know, diocese. It's not up to them to do that. But this idea, um, this idea of, of not letting the church interfere, I mean, the state interfere in the church, um simply led to this movement, which became known as the Oxford Movement, and was also known as the Tractarian Movement, because, and I want, I want our, our listeners to try to picture this, because to us it's amazing, or at least to me. Newman and his friends wrote what are called tracts, so basically articles that were printed separately, so on different things like the interference of church of state into in the church um and so on and they wrote these tracts and they literally took them to the churches throughout England and they 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 took them by hand <laughs> delivered them to the um to the pastors of the churches the anglican pastors and and tried to rile them up and tried to get them going to um defend the church, and to try really to call them back to an active um, um, faith and, and to living that faith in a radical way. Um, what Newman and, and the others did was extremely radical, and it riled up England. It, mm. Newman became the spiritual leader of this movement, and he became this spiritual leader not only because of what he wrote, but most especially because of his preaching. Newman was the vicar of St. Mary's in Oxford, a beautiful church. If you ever go to Oxford, it's a gorgeous church to visit. Um, this is was the university church, and being vicar there meant that, that he was like the pastor, and he was to um, to to preach, and he didn't. It wasn't only on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday afternoons at about four o'clock or five o'clock, he had a sermon, which went on for probably about forty-five minutes to an hour. Newman's sermons were so popular among the students that they flocked to them. Mm-hmm. They filled the church. Mm-hmm. Um, later, when they were much much older. They could describe what these sermons meant to them. Um, Newman was not a rhetorician. He did not. He, he didn't use 
um, you know, oratory and all of that. Um, but his words pierced, really, literally pierced mm-hmm. their souls. And um, he he became so uh, so influential that the heads of the houses where the students lived um, changed dinner time so that the students had to choose between either having dinner or going to listen to Newman. Wow. And they still went to listen wow. to Newman. That's awesome. Newman's uh, influence um, was really was really profound. Um, but all this time, he was still looking for what he called the Church of Christ. Mm. If Christ founded the church, mm. he must have a way of preserving it, and that means it's still around. Where could he find it? Mm-hmm. And he kept trying to prove it was in the Anglican Church, but it wasn't. Um, and this cause, it's hard. I think anybody who has converted um, must know to some extent what this means. But for Newman, this was a struggle of epic proportions. And it got to a point where he resigned. I, I, of course, forgot to say that he became an Anglican priest, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't be preaching mm-hmm. at um, at St. Mary's. But he resigned his position in Oxford, which means he had to leave um, money behind. He resigned as an Anglican uh, pastor, and he went to live in in a little place called Littlemore, um, in cottages which still exist. Our sisters um, live there and take care of the place as a place of pilgrimage. Beautiful. And he lived there to do one thing, to find out what God wanted for him. And he did this by prayer, by fasting, and by study. Mm. I think these are profound lesson for us. We are people who are whole people. We are not only spiritual. We are not only physical. Um, We are both, and we have an intellect. All three of those God uses to help us to find him. And Newman knew this. And so he and others spent the time in prayer together, starting, and they learned to pray the office um, together in the mornings, in the evenings. Um, They fasted very rigorously during Lent, not eating anything until 5 in the afternoon. Um, And they studied very hard. Um, They did not spare themselves the intellectual effort to understand the history of the Church and understand the doctrines. Um, So um, at the end of Newman's four years in Littlemore, he was received into the Catholic Church, and thus left behind him um, all of his Anglican friends, who most of some of some of them followed him, some even preceded him. Most of his oldest ones did not, um, and he left behind his family. None of his of the rest of his family converted. One of his sisters never spoke to him again. Mm-hmm. Um, a very hard time for him, but at the same time, what he called a like coming into port after a heavy storm. Mm. And he said he's, he never had any regret at all about it. So we, we have that scripture <clears throat> passage from a few weeks ago uh, where Jesus imparts those difficult words, he does not leave behind father, mother, brother, sister, uh, or to our right. blessed mother. So the whole notion 
flowing from his uh, 15, age 15 conversion that truth in Christ um, mm-hmm. is, what we were, is who we were fashioned for. And St. Thomas, of course, speaks of our appetites are ordered toward the true, the good, the beautiful, and the one. And his unwavering pursuit of that is the thread, it seems, that guides his life. Share with us a little bit. So just another thing um, for our listeners, folks, at age 32, really, it seems, the Tractarianism, 1833 is when that began through 1845. He was nationally known as a young man in mm-hmm. his 30s and as a leader at, in that period of time. And um, his last track, track 90, seemed to convey um, you know, his conviction that the branch theory is inadequate. Can you share with our listeners, those who are listening right now, and pursuing truth, perhaps, as Newman was, and may, incline, may be inclined to think that, you know, there are many different branches of this thing called Christianity, all perhaps equal, because some of this is coming on the stage now, and we're reading there are different paths to the same God, and in some sense, right, uh, within our understanding and knowledge, um, we, we participate in truth, but Newman clearly came to an understanding um, that's God's to decide the level where somebody's soul is at, but there is one way, and it is revealed by Christ, and it's in the fullness of the Catholic faith in its institutional form. I'm throwing a lot of words out there, but Newman journeyed in this way. Share with us maybe, or maybe help us understand what Newman understood about putting the branch theory to bed. Yeah, um, well, the branch theory was, at least at his time, basically that um, you had the Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Anglican Church. And um, it was to some extent that some of the primitive church was found in each of those branches. Um, Newman, if you don't mind my, my jumping off that for a Please second. Please do. Um, Newman struggled... Um, much more with with something else, which I think a lot may struggle with. Um, Newman thought that the Catholic Church added to the creed, to the primitive faith. Um, So he had this, what I would call, what he called his issue, it sounds very modern, um, (laughs) not because he had issues, but (laughs) he had this issue of... um, creed versus faith, and his thought was that the faith was was um, was at one place and the creed at another, and that the um, the creed was from the primitive church and the Catholic Church added things to it interesting um, and um, this became a huge issue to him, and then he also um, while he was trying to figure out where he should belong, he came up with what he called the Via Media, the middle road, the middle road between the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. And this sounded so plausible, you know. He knew that other Anglican divines, their theologians are called divines, um, that they had come up with this idea, but he had never really seen it really worked out. So... Newman wrote this this book called the Via Media, and um, then he went back to reading the Fathers of the Church. And we know that the Fathers of the Church are those early um, theologians who not only were intellectually brilliant but also very holy men. Um, and those Fathers of the Church wrote um, and let us know 
by their writings what the early church was like. And they especially um, let us know that through the various heresies that they had to, to contend with. And Newman was reading, and he read about one of the heresies, and he realized that the Via Media was not correct. Um, he realized that because he said every time he read about the heresy, the Catholic Church always stood where she was. Mm. She never moved. Mm. But those who went against her, <laughs> we had, they had some who were in a via media and some who were in the other extreme, but the Church always stood where she was. Um, this um, understanding which came upon him, it's like an intuition, like through his reading it like flashed upon him, and he realized that the Via Media didn't hold any water. And as he called it, he said it was pulverized. Mm. Um, so the branch theory, when at least when I did my studies, was not, it was something he looked at. I wouldn't say that he dwelt long and mm. hard on it. Um, I could be wrong about that. But um, more the Via Media and um, um, the focus on trying to get the Anglican Church to fit into uh, the mold of the primitive church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sister, um, a question that may or may not be off topic, but who were some people in his life who really impacted him along this journey um, in regards to embracing the truth of the Catholic faith? Um, was there a priest? So that's a good question. Um, Newman or? did a lot of his study on his own, but there was a professor. Um, I believe his name was Russell. I'm I'm really sorry because at the moment the name escapes that's me. Okay. I think it was Russell. He he was in Maynooth in Ireland. He was a Catholic priest, and you know Newman was so well known that everybody knew. <laughs> seemed to know what was going on with him. And this priest wrote to Newman and um, engaged him in conversation um, a little bit, uh, letter writing about where he was with the Catholic Church. He also gathered pamphlets about beliefs of the Catholics and sent them to Newman to show him that his understanding of what Catholics believed and what they really believed were two different things. Interesting. Newman had a very... Um, extreme understanding, and to some extent, understandably so, because when he was in Italy, he saw some things that that made him cringe, because the Italians are very different from, from the, the English, English and live their faith <laughs> differently, right, right. you know. Uh, what works for an Italian would not work for an Englishman. And um, so this Dr. Russell, who we would say Father Russell, but they called him Dr. Russell, um, really helped Newman in a very gentle, um, really compassionate way. So I would say he was very instrumental. Another one who was is the one who received Newman into the Catholic Church, Blessed Dominic Barberi, mm-hmm. or as many people say, Barbary. Uh, Blessed Dominic was a passionist priest from Italy who felt called to go to England, and he literally um, preached in the streets. He got things thrown at him. He dealt with a lot of adversity. He 
people thought that he wasn't very intelligent because his English was quite broken. Mm-hmm. He was, in fact, extremely intelligent. Um, Newman had said at one point, the Catholics will never convince us unless they have somebody go barefoot through our streets and preach the gospel, and that's exactly what uh, Dominique Barbary did. Mm. And Newman had a great admiration for him, so great that he asked him to receive him into what he called the one true fold of Christ. Mm. By the way, I should tell you, today is the 8th of October, tomorrow the 9th. Tomorrow is Newman's feast day. Mm. Um, The 9th is also... Um, the anniversary of when Newman was received into the church. Mm. This evening in England, it's now nighttime there, but in the evening, a whole group of people, including a couple of our sisters, walked from Oxford to Littlemore, where Newman was received, and commemorated that night when Mm. Dominic Barbary went to Littlemore and um, began to hear Newman's general confession his general confession was so long that <laughs> Dominic said, well, let's continue tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so great. they continued the next day, and then Newman was received uh, into the church on October 9th, 1845. Awesome. Wow. So it's pretty that. neat that we got this evening to talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, sisters, some hardball uh, application questions from, as best as you might understand, Newman's perspective. So, the idea of a university, a work of Newman's, how would Newman look at today's university? How would he appraise today's Catholic university from the vantage of that work and his understanding? Right. I mean, that's, a, that's in some ways a loaded question because um, Catholic universities are very different among mm-hmm. themselves. Newman's understanding of the university, um, we find in some Catholic universities, and in fact in the university, the college that I went to, that was our goal. Newman's understanding of a university was the formation of the whole person. So what we would call, of course, the liberal arts, but not only study, but also um, spiritual um, enrichment, spiritual formation, and so on. Um, Newman, but Newman was not at all, um, um, he was very cognizant, let's put it this way, of the need for people to live, you know. So when he founded the, the university, Catholic University in Ireland, um, he also founded a medical school. That's the only part of Catholic University that still exists. Actually, I think I just heard that it closed. Mm. But it existed up until very recently. Um, he, he understood also that um, a Catholic university is not supposed to be a seminary. He was like, I don't mm. want a seminary. Mm. I want a university. I want it to be rigorous. I want it to be um, open to science, I want it to be scientific in its method. Um, so, of course, um, I think not only with Catholic universities but with secular universities, Newman would find some difficulty with the focus on utility, mm-hmm. um, only on or almost exclusively on utility. You know, I need to get my degree so I can get a job. Kind of mentality. Everybody understands it in the sense that, of course, people need to make money. 
Um, what is difficult is that the whole person is not formed. It's not a true education often because people are taught um, to know one subject, whereas Newman understood that knowledge, you could say is like, this is my favorite analogy, it's like a big pie. I like to think of a blueberry pie um, right hot out of the oven, okay? So you've got this wonderful blueberry pie. Each slice of the pie is a discipline, um, theology, philosophy, mathematics, um, geology, geometry, and so on. Um, each of these um, disciplines holds its place, but it's also held in place by the other disciplines. Mm. It is informed by the other disciplines, but has its own um, kingdom, if you want, <laughs> its own slice mm -hmm. of the pie. If you take one of those disciplines out, so people always ask, does theology have a part in the university? If you take the, the theological slice of pie out, what happens? If you take a piece of nice piping hot blueberry pie out, <laughs> what happens? The two pieces on either side lose their shape. Mm -hmm. They Bring begin to encroach time. on the space that was theology. What does that mean? That means that if we take theology away, we find that science encroaches on the space that theology should have, or philosophy, perhaps. Um, Great example. The whole is held together by the individual parts and becomes a whole, um, if you will, in the person who imbibes or, or who... Um, who studies these things. So I get to so eat the Newman whole pie at once. Definitely have difficulty. Did I make you hungry, Steph? Yes. Indeed. Yes. So, so <laughs> sorry. We're, you, okay, sorry. So, Sister, we were blessed uh, a handful of years ago to be in Pittsburgh for a Newman conference with you. And it was yeah. right before his beatification. And all over the place was the phrase, heart speaks to heart, which is... Right. Um, a theme, if you will, of Newman, one of his uh, most mottos. notable mottos, if you it's will. Cardinal. Um, yeah, it was his motto. His Cora, motto is, Cora thank you. So his motto is a cardinal. Um, what do you think of directly with Newman when you hear his motto, heart speaks to hearts? Yeah, um, I will be a little bit different from other people. I could be really... Um, in a sense, pious and say, you know, the heart of man speaks to the heart of God. And, of course, that's true. But when I think of Newman, I think of heart speaks to heart as in personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Newman was a man of very deep friendship, and um, he valued that a great deal. And um, he understood that the way to pass on the truth is through um, personal influence. Um, this started from from the beginning when he started teaching in in Oxford all the way through the rest of his life. The the way um, that we have to bring other people to God, we can use many different instruments, but the way is through personal influence, which comes through personal relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think of when I think of Newman and 
Korod Korloquitur. That's great. You know, if I reflect upon some of the maladies today that we see uh, causing suffering, not simply for collegians, the academic atmosphere, uh, but o- older folks with this, what we often call deconstructionism or postmodernism, either denial of a truth or the capacity to know that truth. Newman has a lot to say, uh, I think, about apprehending truth. And I'd say a formulation that sort of struck me, I would say inspired by studying Newman, is simply this. Tolerance of falsehood is intolerance of truth. I take that word toleration because it seems to be such a high-valued, misunderstood, weaponized word today in political, educational, ecclesial arenas, to tolerate. We should all be tolerant, right? But the, the mm-hmm. definition, obviously, is often come, comes to mean, you know, let anybody do, let any structure do whatever it wants to do without, without judging it. So at the heart of everything I'm right. saying here, Newman is one of the very few... Uh, Quoted in the Catechism, and I believe particularly in the, on the subject of conscience, he brings great right. insight to the purpose of conscience. Which um, share with us a little bit about you know what Newman contributes to conscience, and maybe why is it important for us to have an abundant life? Yeah, Newman is well known for his understanding of the conscience, and you're right that um, uh, he. <laughs> He particularly pointed out that the conscience is not the same as our opinions. Um, The conscience is that, what he calls the still voice of God, which speaks in us. But this still voice has to be, I mean, this is always church parlance, of course. It has to be informed. Um, Newman came to see that the church is that which informs our conscience. He... um, he spoke very forcefully for, um, as the church does, by the way, for the primacy of conscience. Mm. That means that if, in truth, you hold something in your conscience, you may not go against it. And the reason for that is profoundly human and, and profoundly psychological also, that if we go against what is truly our conscience, we violate ourselves. Mm-hmm. We lose our integrity. And the Church has always said that. Mm-hmm. But the Church has also always insisted, as does Newman, that the conscience is not the same as our opinion. And as Catholics, we, um, we have the duty to know the teachings of the Church um, and to do our best to try to come to an understanding of them also. But the understanding is not the necessity. Um, that sounds horrible. Um, but it's not horrible because faith or theology is faith-seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're try- we seek that understanding, but the faith comes first. And the faith me- says to me, the Church instituted by Christ... Um, and which is the mystical body of Christ, teaches this, and I accept it because of that. And um, therefore, my conscience also accepts it. Mm-hmm. Um, Newman never uh, <laughs> understood or never um, espoused this idea of the conscience um, um, 
Yeah, as I guess I don't know a better way to put it, but as being our opinion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is something which he understood as being totally, um, not totally, but as being outside of ourselves, that is, coming from outside of ourselves. And he understood that so much that he saw it as a proof of the existence of God mm-hmm. through the conscience, that the conscience is a way that the person knows that God exists. Because he says, if the person's honest, they're like, I'm not the one telling myself, do this or don't Mm -hmm. do that. It's something outside of me, speaking inside of me, which says to me when I'm about to do something wrong, don't do that. So, Um, in one of the most difficult application areas that we are familiar with, contraception. Steph and I have worked extensively with um, engaged couples and married couples, and we get it. We get how a couple may look at their life circumstances and feel like um, they desire to engage in a marital act, and they don't want to deal with the consequences of that act, if you will, pregnancy. And in their minds, they may, shall I say, I don't use the word confuse, but confuse information their reason not wanting to get pregnant with uh, maybe a better word discernment Uh, i'm I'm wanting to press Mm -hmm. us maybe to consider what is unique in that situation that newman understands as informed conscience versus simply uh reasonable reason analysis if you will uh based upon our other appetites i don't know if that if i'm confusing it a little bit but i think there's there's a modern tendency to just think i have control over my universe and that's my conscience is what i'm saying and that's not it conscience is availing to a truth that does require us to bow it does require us to say yes to things that that may in front of us not necessarily make sense but I often think the Cecil B. DeMille, we always, I like to simplify, he's, the, of course, the producer of the Ten Commandments, and in a speech he said very eloquently, we can't break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them. All that to make the point that the truth of that, that God has revealed to the church bears, bears out in every single biography ever told um, in those who follow the church teachings, find themselves... Uh, yes, challenged with difficulty, but with a joy and an abundance of life when we truly follow God's way. And conscience is meant to be ordered towards that goodness. And it may mean our selfish sides may need to bow. I don't know. Does that make sense? Do you have any thoughts on that from a Newman standpoint? Wow. <laughs> um, I would just say, I mean, not only concerning contraception, simply the teaching of the church. We have the... Uh, the thing, it started back in Newman's time. He recognized it and spoke against it, what he called liberalism in religion. Mm. What he meant by that is the idea that there is no objective truth. And um, that people think there is no objective truth, obviously. Um, and that, um, therefore, you can do what you choose and what you want. Whereas for the Catholic... There is objective truth, I mean, hopefully for others as well, but um, and that the Church presents that in the person of Jesus Christ, which means also with certain teachings. And Newman said always, 
you know, he of course understood that there are difficulties, if you will, with certain teachings, intellectual if you want, or even experiential difficulties. But he said a thousand difficulties do not make one doubt. Mm. That's an important, important distinction. You can have many intellectual difficulties, but you're talking about two different levels, faith on the one hand, and then an intellectual difficulty on the other. Um, He's not saying that faith isn't intellectual. What he's saying is that faith is, um, is a certainty, and the difficulties... Um, are only an explanation of that. The difficulties are how do I explain it, or how do I understand it, not do I believe it or not. Does that make sense? It does, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm looking at the time. Folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. Very blessed on this night to have Sister Kathleen Dietz from the Family of the Work, Spiritual Family of the Work. Very beloved friends of ours. Sister is a National Newman Scholar, and we're on the eve, the veritable eve, of celebrating the canonization of this wonderful man to be St. John Henry Newman this coming Sunday. And uh, the gift of the Church that he is, very worth us all exploring more of what St. John and Henry Newman to be uh, has to say and contribute. Sister, are there some uh, outstanding thoughts as you look at uh, circumstances unveiling around us, whether it be politically or ecclesially, from the mind of Newman, maybe to put it this way, what might be a prominent word or message that Newman looking at the world today might have? And I think everything you've said so far, liberalism, conscience, all of that certainly plays a role. But uh, anything that stands out for you? I mean, I think with all of the things going on, Newman would have a profound compassion for our world right now. And I think that his response would be one of hope. And hope being based in Christ and um, encouragement to simply uh, follow Christ and um, follow his will in all things. And he, he talked about divine providence very often. And he said, I do not need to have faith in providence because I've seen it so much in my life. I know of course, faith is not. We're going to have to cut short here, I sister. We're coming in for a landing. But thank you so much for being with us tonight. God bless you all.